Love you, brother. Thank you so much. It's good to be with you guys. You guys good today? Exodus chapter 1 is where we're going to be. It's page 148. No, I'm just kidding you. I don't know what page it is in your Bible, but it's somewhere. Maybe you're scrolling down. Maybe you're flipping the pages. It's already been good to be in the house of the Lord. I've already been blessed in a major way. I hope you have been as well. And if you're watching online, uh, we're so glad that you're here with us. Eastview is a one big family. We're everywhere. We're here. We're over in Bloomington and all over the world, actually. And I just, I just want to celebrate our family today. In fact, that's what we're starting, the fam. This series is called The Fam, and we begin six or seven weeks talking about the family. I'll get to that in just a moment, but we have some Eastview family members, uh, Bob and Deb Scholl. Happy 45th anniversary today. God bless you guys for 45 years. That's really awesome. And, uh, and guys, I really, you know, here's what we, why do we come to church? Why is every Sunday the Lord's Day? We come to church to worship Him and tell Him how great He is. We come to remember what He's done in the uh, taking of communion, and we come to hear from him. And I believe God's got a great message for us today. And if you're watching online and you're brand new, you don't know Jesus, stay tuned. This is not a boring 35-minute sermon, okay? I mean, there might be boring parts, but it's not a boring 35-minute sermon. Uh, it really is something that God wants to say to every one of us today. Guys, I hope you'll go to the uh, Reimagine site and you'll sign up. We just need you to sign up and stock up and show up. Sign up, let us know that you're willing to help a family, stock up for all the stuff that you're gonna buy that family, and then show up. We get a chance to deliver stuff to them at the Christmas season and speak into their lives. So I hope you guys will do that. Well, as we come to Exodus 1 today, we're going to answer this question together. Do you know where you came from? You know where you came from? Not just the place you were born, like I would tell you I'm from Indianapolis. I'm talking about the people you come from, like Dale just illustrated for us in the video that we saw earlier. Do you know your ancestry? And more importantly, do you know the story behind your ancestry? You probably know this, but more and more people are wanting to know where they come from. And uh, I can tell that because all these DNA testing companies like Ancestry.com and 23andMe, they're exploding. Now listen to this. In, in 2013, Americans took just under one million of these DNA tests to kind of find out where they're from. Last year, nearly 30 million took this test to find out where they're from. Who am I? And where do I belong? And where am I from? This is a very important question. So how many of you guys have, have, have taken a test and you know where you're from? There's several here. I see those hands online. Yeah, you're the one sitting on the couch right there. I see you. Just kidding, I can't see you. But the, the reality is, is that we are interested in knowing our story because our story gives us insight into where we are right now. Now, some of you guys are not spitting in envelopes and sending that away to find DNA. Uh, some of you are like my sister who have taken the time to research historical stuff and try to figure out where you're from. And by the way, in the olden days, you know where you could find your family history? In the family Bible. And some of you, if you open up your Bible right now, you'll see a place for births and deaths and marriages and all those kind of things. That's where we kept our history. But my sister has actually gone back. She discovered some cool stuff about the Baker family. I can tell you that she's gone all the way back to the 15th century, and the Baker family line can be traced to Wales and Edward IV, the King of England. The King of England, y'all. One of my ancestors was a horse trainer for the King of England. <laughs> That's about as famous as it gets in our, uh, in our family. But it's interesting to go all the way back and go, hey, there's a horse trainer in 15th century England that's a part of my story. 
And of course, we all have stories that parents and grandparents pass down, maybe with photos, and maybe you've done an extensive family tree and displayed it on your wall. But when we come to Exodus 1 today, it begins with a very important ancestry. It's the ancestry of the star of this book, Exodus. He's the one that wrote it. His name is Moses. He's the man of God. And he gives us some insight into his ancestry. There are only 13 names here. Sorry, there are 14 names and 13 people in these verses, but they're very important and they tell a story. And uh, you might be sitting there going right now, you say, well, pastor, you said this is not going to be boring. Why do I care about Moses' ancestry? Here's why. Because I believe it addresses all the stuff that we want to know. The reason we're searching for our story, because we want to know these three things. We want to know where we belong. We want, to, we, we, we want to know, is there a place for me? And we want to know our identity. Who am I? And we want to know what's my future based on where my family's come from. All those things are going to be answered today in Exodus chapter 1, seven short verses. So let's read it together. This is the word of the Lord. It's always the most powerful thing you'll hear. And uh, so I'll try not to botch it up and get in the way. But let's let the Spirit speak to us today. God has a message for you. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. That literally says 70 souls, breathing souls in the Hebrew language. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all of his brothers and all that generation, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us today. God, uh, all of us have a family history. Some of it's good, some of it's bad, some of us we don't know. Um, but we have a family history, and that family history has marked who we are now. But still, still we search for identity. We search for belonging. We search for what you might be up to. And so, God, I pray that you answer that thousands of times a day. For every kid who's fourth or fifth grade or high school or junior high watching right now with their parents, and everybody to 90 years old, would you show us again how we belong in this story and how we find who we are in this story? And we find our future in the story. God, would you just move now? Would you do what only you can do by the power of your Holy Spirit? I can't do it. I've proved that for 35 years. Would you please speak to us now? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've joined us the last six weeks, if you're brand new today, I'm glad you're here. And, uh, and it seems like more and more people are creeping back into the live experience. If you're at home and you're not ready yet, Glad you're watching us today. But if you've been with us the last six weeks, we've been doing an all-church study. That's an, yet another one. And praise God, we've gone through it again, and we've survived, and we've gotten better in our faith and following Jesus Christ. But we've been in the book of Exodus. And we did that to pair up with, the, with these few kids. Now we're going back. We're doing a reboot, and we're going back to the very beginning of Exodus. We're going to be here for the next year or so, and we're going to journey. Remember, the, the word Exodus uh, comes from two Greek words, ek, out, Hadas road, it's the road out, it's the way out. What an awesome time for us to be talking about the way out. You want to get a way out of 2020? I do. Show me the way. Show me the exit sign, right? Um, but this is a series that, that we're going to start with is talking about the family and how God gets the family. We've called it the fam because we're cool like that, okay? 
Uh, but what is this series about, the fam? Well, it's about your fam fam. It's about your church fam. It's about Moses' fam. And it's about the family of God, Jesus Christ's family. And believe it or not, all of these intertwine. Your family, God's family, Moses' family, the family of Jesus, they all come together. I'll show you that as we go along. But here's, the, here's why this fam series is so important. Because if I'm reading culture right, we, we are in a crucial place. We're going, where do I belong? Where, this party or that party? This side or that side? Where do I belong? And um, what is my true identity? I know many of you guys are asking that question, and we're going to answer that today in this passage. And we're going to begin with names. That's the first words of this. Those are the first words of this book. These are the names. In fact, if you're Hebrew and you go back hundreds, thousands, or a thousand years plus, they called this book, These Are the Names. <laughs> that was the name of the book, not Exodus. In Hebrew, it's Shema. These are the names. Not a very creative title, but it, it gets the point across, and it's where we're going to start today. The names of the people that were related to Moses, and they're important for our discussion today. You'll see up here, what I have is the 12 sons of Jacob and Israel. Before I get to them, let me talk about Jacob and Israel. Did you see that? I said there are 13 uh, 14 names and 13 people. There's one guy that has two names. Why is that? Look in verse 1. His name is Jacob. Jacob means heel grabber because you remember when he was born, he grabbed his, his twin brother Esau's foot. It also symbolized who he became. He was a grabber and a taker his whole life. So Jacob was an appropriate name. Later, though, we find out he really wasn't wrestling with Esau, his brother, or mankind in general. He was wrestling with God. That's why his name became Israel. Israel means one who wrestles with God. So if you ever talk about the Israelites, the people of God, they are the, the wrestle with Godites, the Israelites. And I think this is really awesome. This is a great place for us to start because most of our families are wrestlers and takers. And maybe you have an uncle or an aunt or a cousin or a mom or dad or brother or sister in mind, but in the end, all of us become like this Jacob guy. We're seeking what's ours, and we're grabbing, and we're taking, and we want what's ours, and we kind of wrestle this way uh, with God this way through life. And so we find ourselves a lot in the story of Jacob and Israel. So it should come as no surprise that the 12 sons of this man are less than perfect. Let's just look at them for just a, a minute here, all right? First of all, these first six, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, these are the sons of Leah through Jacob, Israel, Okay? And uh, Leah is the one, um, she's the daughter that um, Jacob didn't want to marry, and her dad tricked him into marrying her when he really wanted to marry Rachel. So she was unloved, but she was the most fruitful of his wives, all right? And uh, then we have Benjamin, and we have Joseph here at the end. These guys were the sons of Rachel. She was the pretty one. She was the loved one, okay? And then we have Dan and Naphtali, who are Bilhah, and then we have uh, 10 and 11 are Gad and Asher, Zil Zilpah. It's hard for me to say all these words today. Leah, Rachel, her sister, and then their handmaids, Bilhah and Zilpah. These four women had these 12 sons. Now, if you think that you have a dysfunctional family, you think that you got a mess, you look at your, your tree, looks like there's a bush, it's just it's stuff everywhere, right? Look at this. And we're not even into the mess of it yet. I just want to use, uh, later we'll get to this, but Reuben ends up sleeping with one of his father's concubines. 
Simeon and Levi deceitfully trick a bunch of guys into getting circumcised and then kill them all. Judah accidentally sleeps with his daughter-in-law because he thought he was getting a prostitute. Guys, if you think that you're, if you think this is a sermon, the fam is a sermon about, hey, y'all get your perfect families together. Well, then we just stop right now because we don't have perfect families. We can work on our families. We can make our families, families healthy. We can pray for our families, but there are no perfect families in the Bible. And this is exhibit number one. These guys were a mess, and we'll talk a little bit more about how messy they were um, in just a moment. But the reality is, is that you and I are in this genealogy. I've got there in your notes, if you, if you download them or if you've got a, a hard copy somehow. I don't know how you have a hard copy because we don't make them anymore. <laughs> uh, anyway, in your notes, I have this question, your name here? And the answer is, yeah, your name goes here. I know it's not listed, but if you, if you were just going to say your name out loud, go ahead on the count of three. One, two, three. You guys are good. You know your name today. It's going to be a good sermon. You guys belong in these first seven verses because what you may not know uh, is that at least 25 times in the Bible, there's a genealogy. There's a list of names. Names are very important in the Bible. And so you, you start in if the very first one is in Genesis 5, from Adam to Noah. Adam, Seth, Canaan, Enon, Mahalalel, Jared, Enon, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. That's the way it goes, right? And it tells you all the names. Why do I know those names? Because I'm a nerd and I studied the Bible when I was three years old, but comes in handy as a preacher. <laughs> Genesis 5, then, then in Genesis 11, goes from Noah to Abraham. Next week, we're going to look at Exodus 6 and all the family of Moses. If you go to Ruth chapter 4, you find the, the legacy and the, line, the lineage of King David, and then when you go to Matthew 1, you find all of these things from Adam all the way to Jesus. Why does that matter? Because in Jesus Christ, this is our family. So when you read this, you might as well just be looking at your family history or your family tree because this is your family tree in Jesus Christ. It's about belonging, guys. Why did they, why did they over and over again, 25 times in the Bible, why did they keep track of where they came from? because these were the people of God. And if these are the people of God, I want to know that I belong with the people of God, don't you? And so you wanted to be able to say, no, 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 I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm from the tribe of Issachar. In fact, a lot of times in the New Testament, you see guys writing and say, I'm from this tribe. Why is it so important? Because that connects me with the family of God. I belong here. And in Jesus Christ, we belong in this family. Names are written in this incredible place, this book of life in heaven. Remember in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus' 70 disciples come back and say, Jesus, you won't believe this. The demons were fleeing in your name. He says, that's nothing. You know what you should be rejoicing in? That your names are written in the book of life. 70 guys, 70 names. We don't even know all of them. What about Philippians chapter 4, verse 2? We find these people, two ladies, Yodia and Syntyche and Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, the Apostle Paul says, whose names are written in the book of life. Did you know that there's a big genealogy in the sky and that your name, if you were in Jesus Christ, is written there? Revelation 20 says, by faith, the, those of us who follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, by faith, all of us, our names will be written in the book of life, written with blood of Jesus Christ. That's pretty cool, right? So here, here's the deal. Attention to every name matters because your name matters. 
Your name matters. Whoever you are, you might think that you don't matter. You don't think that you belong somewhere. But in Jesus Christ, you belong here. If you feel left out, if you don't have a friend group, if you feel isolated during this time, maybe you're estranged from your family, maybe you hate your family, maybe you're ashamed of your family, maybe you don't know your family. Maybe you're not sure where you belong, who you belong to, or if you belong at all. But here's what I'm telling you. In Jesus Christ, your search is over. This is your family. Amen? We're really awesome. This is good news, people. Because some, some of us are going around in this world just going, I don't, I don't know where I belong. I don't know if I belong. And uh, this is a crucial message. You belong in the family of Jesus Christ. Ancestry begins with a bunch of names, and your name is here. But as you know, the family is more than just a list of names. We could have gotten Dale's family tree out here today, and we could have just put it up there like we did these 12 tribes, and you go, oh, that's cool. But it's the story behind it that matters. It's the place and story that really matters. And so I want to go back to the map that we've been looking at, a different part of the map now. Because you'll see that the Bible says in verse 1 that these are the ones who came to Egypt with Jacob. Where's this story taking place? Egypt. And then in verse 4, you'll see that, I'm sorry, verse 5, Joseph, I'm sorry, verse 4, Joseph was already in Egypt. So here's the place. We know that they were up here in Goshen in northern Egypt. And we know that they started over here in Beersheba. And we know this is about a 200-mile 200 200 trek to get there. Jacob started here. Joseph was already here. What's the story behind that? How'd they get there? And why did they go? Why would Jacob's family, why would he take his entire 12 sons and all their families, what we see is 70 souls, why would they go to Egypt? Well, there's story behind it. Okay? I just go back to the story of the family. Oh, that was weird. Oh. All right, there we go. The story, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, they were from Leah. Leah was the unloved one. She's described in the original Hebrew language as cow eyes. Not attractive, unless you like cow eyes. Uh, but Jacob loved Rachel. Her sister did not love Leah. So the whole thing, the very beginning of the marriage was just this big swindle. Laban said, okay, I'll give, you, I'll give you the daughter that you want. And then because, you guys are going, how did that happen? Because of veils and stuff in the Old Testament, all right? He got married to her and didn't even know who it was, all right? So Leah, though, because of, of God's uh, mercy and grace on Leah, she was the fruitful one. She wasn't beautiful, perhaps, as Rachel. She wasn't loved as much as Rachel, but God made her fruitful. So she starts naming her kids based on her, uh, the way that her husband doesn't love her and that God does. So you take a name like Simeon, for instance. Simeon means God has heard me. Jacob won't hear me. Jacob doesn't love me, but God has heard me. Can you imagine naming your kids after circumstances in your life? That's what they did. For instance, uh, Levi it means joined. And, and when she had Levi, she said, good, I've had three now. Maybe my husband will be joined to me. No. Then she had Judah, and then she had Issachar. Issachar means rewarded. You imagine every time you have a kid, you're like, that shows you. <laughs> What's the name of your kid? Take that. Oh, wow. All right, take that. That's your name because that's the circumstance that's going on. There's a, there's a story, what I'm saying, there's a story behind every name. Rachel was jealous, and so she said, 
okay, I'll give you my handmaid, Bilhah. I can't have kids. God's not blessing me that way, but I'm not going to let my sister beat me. So she gives her handmaid, Bilhah, and Jacob has with Bilhah, Dan. Dan means judge because Rachel goes, uh, God has judged me now, and now I'm going to catch up with my sister. That's the name of the kid. Naphtali means my wrestling. Because Rachel had another child through her handmaid. Somehow that works in the Old Testament. It doesn't work now. Four wives doesn't work. One wife's enough. One husband's enough as well. I'm, don't, don't. <laughs> A lot more amens for the one husband, though. I'll say that. <laughs> but Rachel was jealous, and they, they had this baby-having contest. And, and by the way, then you get to, you know, Benjamin who's the youngest, number seven here, he's the last, he was actually born of Rachel naturally. When he died, his name was Ben-Oni because Rachel was dying in childbirth and when she died, uh, and she said, Ben-Oni, the son of my pain, the son of my suffering. Well, as soon as she died, dad changed the name to Benjamin, the son of my right hand, the son of my strength. Now, all of this is taking place, okay? Is that weird enough? Is, it, is that a little bit weirder than your family history? A little bit? A little bit. I can see some similarities in mine. Uh, but all of that happens, and then there's a famine. What's the story behind these 12? How did Jacob, in verse 1, why did Jacob come to e Egypt? Because there was a famine worldwide, and the whole world went to Egypt to get grain. Now that brings us to Joseph. Because verse 4 says Joseph was already there. You know Joseph. Amazing technicolor dream coat, Joseph, right? Uh, he was the firstborn of Rachel. Most loved wife, prettiest wife, her natural born son, Joseph, and so Joseph was spoiled. Joseph was the favorite. Bought him a coat of many colors. How do you think that made the other brothers feel? We love Joseph, right? And you know the story. They eventually got so jealous that they sold him to a caravan heading to Egypt. They tore up and bloodied his coat of many colors. They told his dad an animal had killed him and eaten him, and that's how Joseph got to Egypt. You might know, see, when you see this, guys, this is what I'm trying to do for you with the scriptures and with this genealogy. You just go, uh, Iskar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Nephla, Gad, Nasher, Joseph. But Joseph has a story. He was already in Egypt. He'd been sold into slavery. He was accused falsely. He was thrown into prison. In prison, people started telling him dreams, and God still blessed him with the ability to interpret. Eventually, Pharaoh has a dream, and, and he says, hey, Pharaoh, here's what's happened. There's seven years of prosperity and seven years of famine are coming, and Pharaoh goes, you're going to be my famine task force guy, and he makes him the number two in Egypt, so that when Jacob and his family comes to Egypt to get grain, guess who's sitting on the throne? Their long-lost brother, Jacob. If you don't believe all that story I just told you, it's in Genesis 37 through 50. You can look it up. But here's what I want to say to us today. Because we're a part of this family, we each have a story. Every name. Your name has a story. Your name matters to this. I, I know we don't have time now to share what your background is and your testimonies are and what's gone on in your life to bring you to faith in Jesus Christ or what you're looking for right now. But I know that every one of us have a place and a story. Our identities sometimes are based on the unique location and the circumstances of our family. Why is this important? This is important because we live in a culture where I think there is an incredible identity crisis. We, it plays itself out in a lot of different ways. 
But we have an identity crisis in this culture that's causing loneliness and depression become, become a common thing. There are more depressed people than ever in the last 25, 30 years of my ministry. Multiple uh, suicide rates in younger people are being multiplied. Why is that? Because I don't know who I am. I don't know where I belong. I don't know what my life is about. I don't know what my purpose here is. It's caused all kinds of sexual confusion and promiscuity. Why? Because millions of people still don't know their place in the grander story. Students and young adults, especially here, if you're under 30, I want you to hear this. I want you all to hear it. Don't go to sleep if you're over 30. But I want you to hear what you're growing. You're growing up in a culture that has told you that your story is up to you, that your story is yours alone, that your story is yours to write. You do it your way. You write, you, you're guided by your emotions. You're guided by what people say to you. So your identity becomes a, 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 you know, attached to these three things. Your attractions, what are you attracted to? That's your identity. What are your emotions? How do you feel? That's who you are. Or, what's your success? What have you done? And if you put your identity in those three things, you will be confused and depressed and suicidal. Because emotions change all the time. And attractions change all the time. And success isn't always guaranteed. But your identity that is found in this story is bigger than that. If you put your entire identity, if you're finding yourself today in you, your story's too small. Until we understand our story is a bigger part of the bigger story, we never will find our identity and the meaning we're looking for. Back to my friend Dale. And he is a friend. I'm not just saying that because I'm a pastor. How do you think the story of his great-grandfather's slavery affected his story? How do you think the story of his great-grandfather's slavery affected who he is today. I mean, you have to say, it's been a major impact on who he is. Because he understood his story, he could have just said, no, I work here, I'm married to this woman, I have these two daughters, this is who I am, I'm writing my own story, being my own man, doing my own thing, like everybody in this culture thinks, but if he just focused on that story, we wouldn't have had that great testimony today. See, your story's bigger than the story that you're in, the place that you find yourself. We have bigger family stories, yes, but our family story is only a part of it, yet bigger story, the story of God. For some of you, this is going to be review, but I want to remind you of your heritage. The biggest story that your life is a part of is one where God so loved the world that he gave his only son that he created us in his image, that he breathed into us the breath of life, and that even though we sinned, then he began with Adam and Eve, our great, 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 a thousand times great-grandparents. And he began working a plan of salvation all the way through the history of humankind, every name, every story apart, and then it doesn't end there because finally God says, they're never going to follow me. They're never going to find their inheritance in me and live up to the family name. What am I going to do? He sent his son to die for us. And on the cross, he purchased our salvation, and he took away our sins, but God didn't stay dead. He came back to life after three days, and that is your family story. And because of that story, no matter who you are, I can say this with all assurity, no matter who you are, what your name is, what your story is right now, you're a part of this greater redemption story of God through Jesus Christ. Hey, somebody say amen. 
<laughs> because here's the deal. Our real identity is in that story. We are subplots. We are twists and turns in the story, but God takes all of our stories and makes sense of them all in the context of the story of his love through God, uh, that God had through Jesus Christ. Guys, knowing where you belong and your part in the family always points to where the family's going. So we find our place, we belong in this family. We find our identity, we are who this family says we are. We are children of God through Jesus. But you know, here's the reality. If you're part of the right family, you got a future. If you're part of the right family, this family connection, where we belong in the story means there's something better coming. And that's what we find here. There's a blessing and there's a future. See what it says in verse seven, but the, the people of Israel were fruitful and they increased greatly. Remember, they, they came to, uh, they came to, uh, our camera guys are talking out loud. Anyway, uh, praise God. Uh, Exodus seven, they come and there's 70 souls. There's 70 souls, 70 people. But God said, no, this family is gonna be a big family. It's gonna be a nation. Remember, he promises to Abraham, I'm gonna do something awesome through you. 70 is just a big family reunion. Anybody been to a reunion that big? I have, on the hog farms of Indiana. All right? Lots of pies and it smells great, okay? 70 people, though, is not the end of God's work. 70 people is not a mighty nation. 70 people is not stars in the heaven and sands on the seashore. It's just 70 people. So God begins to fulfill his promise. Remember, he made a promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 through 4, and then again in Genesis 15, 13 through 16. And he says, Abraham, you are going to be a family that through you, all the families on the earth are going to be blessed. And so God begins doing that work. By the way, when you see these words, you and I just go, eh, people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied, they grew exceedingly strong. All those four descriptions God wants us to get, make sure we get those things. They're multiplying, they're increasing greatly, they're being fruitful. It's the blessing of Abraham. Remember, God told this to Abraham, you're gonna have, you have a nation come from you when he was 99 years old and the son that he was gonna do this through still had not been born. I love what Hebrews says, and Abraham, as good as dead. And then he had a child. And now we get all these years later, remember Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Exodus 1.1. And now all these years later, several generations later, God begins to do his work. And they begin to multiply. And this was their blessing in their future because they belonged to the family of God. Look what it says there in verse 7. They increased greatly. It's a great Hebrew word that literally means to team or to swarm. You ever gone through the, the woods or the forest at some point and there's just like gnats all around you? You can't get, that's, that's what they did. They were, they were multiplying that fast, these children of Israel, because God was blessing them. And they were growing strong. You look, look what it says there, that they, they, they grew exceedingly strong. So God's doing a work in there. He's multiplying who they are, and he's growing them in their strength, and they're becoming a force to be reckoned with. Now, I'm afraid that some of you probably peeked ahead, and you went on down to verse 8. And you find out that verse 8 doesn't say, and the children of Jacob lived happily ever after. <laughs> How rare that is in the Scripture until you get to the end of Revelation. Why doesn't say, verse 8 say they lived happily ever after? Why if we just peek ahead a little bit, we notice that these people 
are going to be enslaved, that these people get in bad favor with the king of Egypt who didn't know Joseph or his family. Why, why is it that God in his planning and his multiplication and his work all of a sudden, hey, this is great, we're in Egypt, this is awesome, we're having kids and grandkids and blessing upon blessing upon blessing, and we just sang, and then all of a sudden, boom, the king's mad and we're slaves. What's up with that? Why does God work like that? Well, God has a plan. Wherever you're at today, whatever's going on in your world today, whatever's hurting in you today, whatever you wish you could get past today, just I want you to take courage in this day. If you're in the family of God, God has a plan. He's got a plan. And he told Abraham this plan in Genesis 15. Remember, he said, hey, Abraham, I'm going to do all the stuff I told you, but first, your descendants are going to go to Egypt, and they're going to be enslaved for 400 years, and then I'm going to bring them out with a mighty hand. And we said this before, but it's just one of those things that's just it's like, I can't, I can't understand it. Because God says in Genesis 15, he goes, the sins of the Amorites are not, are not enough yet. i got to give them a chance to have enough sins and a chance to repent and a chance to change, but then I'm going to bring you in. I'm not making this up. Look it up in Genesis 15. God has a plan, and he's using every person and every resource in the world to, uh, to bring his plan to fruition. And that means, guys, that God has a plan for us. I want to tie us to this family. I want to make sure that you know I'm not just saying this, because the Bible says clearly the early church began uh, beginning of the early church, they understood clearly that Exodus 1, 1 through 7 was their inheritance and their family tree. Ephesians chapter 2, the apostle Paul says, at one time, we were non-Jews. Anybody here not a Jew? This is about you. At one time, we were non-Jews and alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, verse 1, and strangers to the covenants of the promise. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, listen, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The Israel of God is what Paul calls us at the end of Galatians chapter 16. He calls us in Ephesians 2, members of the household of God. In Galatians 3, 28 and 29, not 5, 28 and 29, like your notes say, Galatians 3, 28 and 29. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your social standing. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. You are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offsprings and you are heir according to the promise. Well, that's good. What's that mean? It means that God's working his plan for his family and you're a part of that. Not always easy part. Not always fun part, because I know there are people here who are struggling with their marriage. I know there are people here who are struggling with this whole COVID thing. I know there's people who are struggling with their health or the health of a loved one or the death of a loved one. I know in our congregation right now, those watching online, those here today, I know that, that your moods are swinging back and forth based on everything that's happening in the news. I know that your efforts aren't always paying off. I know that you don't feel like you're growing or making progress. I know that this world isn't happily ever after. This world for many of us in here today feels like uh, verse 9. Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too muddy for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. And the world feels like it's dealing shrewdly with us. So what do we say to that? You ever wonder why your life isn't just happily ever after? It's because God's working a plan. I want you to look down in verse 12. They're full-on slaves now. They're slaves. They're building Python and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, look, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And verse 20, so God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. Here's the miracle of God and the family that you're a part of. 
in your harshest times, in what feels like slavery and oppression, and you can't make sense of it all, God is still multiplying and growing you. He's still doing a great work in you. It may not feel like it, but during the times of our lives that feel like chains of slavery and pain of oppression, God is still growing us and making us strong and increasing us greatly. Guys, we've been through a hard year, let's just say it. We're all tired of coronavirus. We're all tired of the election coming up. We're all tired of all the, the stuff that's in our social reality, the turmoil that it brings and the sides that everybody seems to take. We're just tired of it. What's going on? What's going on if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and a part of this genetic reality by the Spirit? Then what's going on is that God is getting us out of here. That's what he's doing. It didn't look like it for 400 years. It didn't look like, hey, Exodus, there's the road out. There's a process. God had to do everything that he had in mind so that all of us could get out of here. Today we start this journey with the fam, knowing that eventually God gets the family where he wants the family to go. And that means he gets me and he gets you where he wants you to go. God is getting us from our lives of slavery and pain in this world to an inheritance that he's preparing for us. That's your story. Whoever you are, you belong here. Whoever you are, that's who you are. And the great news is, is that God is preparing a way to get out of all this stuff to a place he's prepared for us. Do you know where you came from? Because <laughs> if you know where you came from, you know where you're going. Because in Jesus, you're part of the fam. Amen. God bless you guys.
to see you next Sunday.